Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. I pray that you have tested the Lord and found that He is faithful this week, for He is And that's why we're going into Deuteronomy is to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17 as that'll be our main text this morning. As we look at Deuteronomy at 35,000 feet. Let me ask you, if you remember this, have you ever had that rush out of the house, going to school, going to work, just trying to get out? Maybe you have your kids, maybe it's your your wife or your husband, and you hear these types of last-minute instructions before leaving the house. You know, don't forget your lunch. Don't forget your backpack. Don't forget your jacket. Don't forget your homework. Hey, here's your briefcase. My favorite one was, don't forget whose child you are. Remember, you represent me wherever you go. These types of thoughts and questions and reminders are similar to the theme of the book of Deuteronomy as Moses prepares the Hebrew children to finally enter into the promised land as Yahweh calls his people to covenant faithfulness. As you can tell, we are taking a break from our regular study through Luke's gospel. We'll be getting back that uh, probably in about uh, end of October, beginning of November. And we take during the fall, usually starting around Labor Day or so, we start looking at a book of the Old Testament. This message is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to give you kind of a a scope and sequence, so to speak, of what we are going to be looking at for the next seven to eight weeks. We have finally arrived to the fifth and last book of the Pentateuch in our study these last few years. The Pentateuch consists of the first five books of the Old Testament. Pentateuch means five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books were written by Moses and records the creation, the fall, and the beginning of the redemption chapters of the biblical story. The major theme of this book, and you'll see this on the screen, is found in three speeches or sermons of Moses as he urges the Israelites to remain faithful to the covenant as they enter the promised land. Once again, Moses is urging the Israelites to remain faithful to the covenant of God as they enter in to the promised land. It is, it is his final address to the children of Israel as they are encamped on the plains of Moab around 1,400 years before Christ. The book is divided into four main parts, as you'll see here, as Moses reviews the history of the Israel people. He reviews the law that God had given them, as you might recall, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 10 and then the Levitical laws in, uh, in, uh, in Leviticus and in Numbers. He reviews the terms of the covenant that he made with them, the things that he expects from them, the things they can expect from him. And it also gives us Moses' final words before his death. Deuteronomy comes from the Greek word meaning the second law. As Moses instructed that when Israel has a king, they are commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 17. As you look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, look at verse 18. It's also here on the monitor for you. 
Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you do not have one, let me know. I'd love to give you a free copy of God's Word that you can take home with you and you can study with us as we go along. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses had wrote, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, speaking about the king that they will one day have, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it, shall be, uh, and it shall be with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom. He and his children in Israel. Father, these are good words of advice to us this morning. The second law, Deuteronomy, that we should remember your law, that we should remember who you are. And Father, Lord, that we are to be faithful to your covenant. Our covenant is different than their covenant. The promise to them are, are similar, but also different in some continuity to ours. But Lord, I pray that we remember our God. Remember the one who has been faithful to us. And Lord, may we be called back to a faithfulness to him. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. So what I want to do, this one is going to give you a lot of facts and observations. We're looking, we're looking at Deuteronomy from a very big picture, 35,000 feet, looking at the plane window. You kind of see a little bit of what's on the ground, but you don't see all the details. We're just going to look at a, a big stroke here before we go into the rest of the book next week. But facts and observations. So I want to just give you some facts and observations. A new generation now is ready to enter into the promised land. You may recall from our study in Numbers last year that the original Hebrew children that left Egypt as slaves were condemned to wander the desert until they dropped down dead. Now that's just an impolite way of saying it, but they were to wander for 40 years until anyone who was 40 and over died. This judgment was due to their failure to trust and obey Yahweh, to push forward into the promised land. Instead of trusting Yahweh and his faithfulness and, and his commands, they succumbed to fear, the fear that was given by the 10 spies who gave a bad report of the land. Remember, oh, the, the land is, is too big for us. The people are too strong for us. Uh, there's no way that we could ever defeat these people. The children of Israel believed those lies. They lost their faith and trust in the God who had brought them out of Egypt. They forgot the great uh, miracles and, and plagues that he had inflicted on Pharaoh and his Egyptian army as they were uh, drowned in the Red Sea. They had neglected his word as they traveled throughout. So as you and I come to Deuteronomy, we have a new generation of young people. They are ready now to follow, the, uh, follow Moses into the promised land. Forty years have passed. The children of the former slaves of Egypt have grown, have grown. They are now eager to finish that final leg into the promised land. They have been informed by Yahweh that his time, Moses' time on earth, is coming to an end. You may recall that Moses could not enter the promised land because he too had shown anger and disobeyed God when God told him to speak to a rock in order for it to pour out water, but instead he hit it with his rod. 
And because of that disobedience and his unfaithfulness, he would not be allowed to enter into the promised land. In Deuteronomy, we find his final words of preparation to this new generation of Hebrew children. Now, this book is written in the form of a treaty, a, a, a what's called an Old Testament treaty or a, an old time treaty, not one that you and I would recognize today, but it, it's a form of a treaty. And in it includes a historical prologue. Here's some things that you need to know. It's some stitch of, stitch of stipulations and laws that they were expected to follow. And then a list of blessings and cursings. Pastor Chuck Swindoll comments that Moses is reminding the young people of their rebellion of their parent of the rebellion of their parents and the faithfulness of Yahweh. He reminds them of the blessings that accompany obedience while compromises with God's word weakens us and the consequences that follow disobedience. So as we go through here, you're going to see that much of it still applies to you and I today. He goes on to say that Moses is also reminding this new generation of Hebrew children that the land is theirs. The promised land is there. They are to go now and possess it in spite of their enemies. God is greater than any other God is. They're about ready to go into, and as we go into Joshua and Judges and so forth, the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that, that God is even above the Pharaoh gods, the Egyptian gods. We saw that in Exodus, but he's also going to be greater than the gods of Ammon and the Moabites and the Canaanites and all those people of the land. God is unique and Israel is his chosen people. We're going to see the goodness of the land that God has promised. It's a land flowing with, with, with milk and honey. It is a land that is ready for God's people. He has prepared it for them. We also see the faithfulness of God. Despite Israel's sin, God is good and faithful. He keeps his promise of the land that he made originally to Abraham. Even in their sin, God is faithful to them. We also see that the power of God to defeat the enemies of the land is God is greater than all those men. Were they strong? Were they tall? Were they battle-hardened? They were. But God says, I will give this land to, the, to you. We'll also see the exhortation or the encouragement for Israel to love and serve and fear and obey God, even in the midst as they live around uh, their neighbors who refuse and reject the true God. They are just love and serve and fear God in the midst of that. There's also warnings against idolatry of serving other gods and instructions for the proper worship of God. There's the comprehensiveness of the laws of God that, as we saw in Leviticus, that affects all parts of their life. And then we're going to see the intimate death of Moses is close. So those are some of the unique themes that we're going to find as you read through Deuteronomy. I'm going to encourage you these next seven weeks is take, I think it's 32 chapters, 36 chapters, something of that nature, is to read those chapters along with us as we go through it. And I want us to look for those types of themes and see how God is speaking to them, but he's also speaking to us through them. One interesting fact that uh, something you may not know is that Jesus quotes more from the book of Deuteronomy than he does in the older Old Testament book. I probably would have guessed Psalms, but it was Deuteronomy is the book that he teaches and preaches and quotes more from. Now, what I want you to help understand as we go through this is that those first five books, as we end to Deuteronomy, is those five books are working together to show us what God's plan. 
God is building a kingdom. And then that redemption story, his plan to redeem man, it's to build an earthly kingdom through the family of Abraham. And what we've seen going through Genesis and what we see as we go through Deuteronomy is God's plan to develop a great nation. Now it occurs as the Hebrew children grow in numbers. As you might recall, as we finished Genesis, there was like 70 people. But by the time you turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, we see that they were probably several million people. And as we go into and they enter in now to Deuteronomy, after these 40 years of wandering the desert, we're going to see that they're exploding in numbers. They are growing from, set from, from one man with one child to 70 to now millions. God delivers his people from Egypt so that they can be a nation and a kingdom before him. Not only for their benefit, but also for the nation. So here, this is how we're seeing God's faithfulness displayed through the family of one man. God calls Israel to be a kingdom of priests, to represent God before the nations. God graciously gives Israel the Mosaic covenant to share with them how they can be right with God or how they can approach him in worship, how they can express their devotion to God. Israel has promised blessings for their obedience, but also they are promised curses for disobedience to that covenant. God promises Israel that after she has dispersed the nations for disobedience, she will be saved and restored. This dispersion is followed by a regathering and restoration. As you may recall, as we go through the rest of the Old Testament, we know that eventually Israel uh, is dispersed because of their disobedience. And they are spread throughout the nations. And as we close uh, uh, from that, we see that they're regathered and restored. Deuteronomy actually prophesies all that hundreds of years before it actually happens. But he also gives them instructions for Israel for when they'll have a king. Now that doesn't happen until we get to 1 Samuel. But we see that God says that he knows that they're going to want a king. And here's the instructions for them. Michael Vlock, I know I've just given you quite a bit. But what I want you to understand is that it's the story of Israel, of God's people, his faithfulness to a people to make them a kingdom. And that kingdom is important. As you see, Michael Vlock in his book, uh, He Will Reign Forever, is that Israel was to be the means of blessings to the nations. We saw that in our call to worship in Galatians, that it is through Abraham and through his children that you and I are blessed that we too could be sons of God. So Israel was to be a means of blessing the nations and the Mosaic covenant was the means through which Israel would be linked to the blessings of Abraham's covenant. We find that realized as we come not only to Acts chapter 2, but also in Revelation, where it says in heaven, there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every language will be represented as God is bringing and gathering his children to him. And so you and I stand here in relation or what, to Christ because of what's happening through the children of Israel. And so it's very important. Because still the question might remain in your minds. Why are we reading through the book of Deuteronomy? That, that name just sounds boring. It sounds complicated. I can understand that. It was written thousands of years ago to a people in a land far removed from us. 
we may wonder why is it important for you and I to know the history of Israel, a people that is far removed from us, with a, with a, with a, um, a culture that is far removed from us. How does that help me live a godly life today? How does that help me in my marriage or in my, in my responsibility as a parent? How does it help me to be a better employee or employer? How does it help me to live a good moral life today? Well, Jeff Mooney, the senior pastor of Redeemer Baptist Church in Riverside, California, he answers these with three reasons why you and I should read through the book of Deuteronomy. And we're indebted to his work this morning. I'd like to give that to you. Writing for Nine Marks Ministry, he writes, The book of Deuteronomy betrays God as king. It reveals the way his people should live in covenant with him. And let me say today, that reigns for you and I as well. Of course, God is portrayed through scripture as king. And in scripture, he reveals the way that we, his people today, should live in covenant with him. So Deuteronomy is given to us in the same way Leviticus and Numbers was, as an example for us to understand how we are to live, how do we are to approach a holy God. So I want to give you those three reasons this morning. If you're taking notes, they'll be here on the screen. The first reason that you and I should read Deuteronomy is because it betrays the real nature of his people's covenant with the great king, the living God. It betrays the real nature of his people's covenant with the great king. Now, covenants weren't unusual in the ancient Near East, speaking of Egypt and what you and I now know as Iran and Iraq and countries of that nature. A typical covenant in those days would go something like this. Hi, I am your new king. I just destroyed your entire army and murdered your old king. Furthermore, I'll be happy to slaughter anyone who pushes back against me. Oh, by the way, here's a treaty so that you know what the new normal is. Almost seems like COVID almost uh, in a way. Now that's the old type of treaty. Deuteronomy inverts this common format that the secular world would be familiar with. In this covenant that God writes, it goes something like this. I am the God who liberated you from oppression and slavery. I have fought, fulfilled, and will continue to fulfill my promises on your behalf. Here is a treaty so that you will know and remember my affection for you, as well as your responsibility in this relationship. This is your new normal. So what we see here is one who is a dictator, a triumphant king. In this one, we see a benevolent king, one who comes and fights for us, who loves us, who takes care of us. And you will see this pattern in the opening three chapters in which Moses reviews the work of God on Israel's behalf. And this review yields to theological propositions over the next seven chapters of Deuteronomy where we're going to realize that God's unprecedented mercy cuts both ways. Israel had to remember their relationship to God had little to do with their present efforts and everything to do with God's past promise to the patriarchs. As the Bible moves into the New Testament, we see that the Christian notion of redemption has nothing to do with a far-off monarch 
who demands our obedience or else. Rather, Christian redemption is for when God, the merciful Savior, acts on behalf of his, of his people because they cannot begin to fight for themselves. And that's where you and I find ourselves in our enslavement to sin. One cannot help but think of Jesus as you and I read the book of Deuteronomy, who did not come to serve or come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or consider Ephesians 5, in which Paul tells us that Christ loves his church, gave himself up for her, that he finds joy in the church's purity and his attachment to himself. Far from legalism, this monarch, monarch loves his people, this king loves his people more and better than anyone else could. He has given them the freedom to live in the land and he's teaching them to cultivate a deep hatred and abandonment for their sin. So what you and I will find in Deuteronomy is what you and I will find in the letters of Paul. How to love a loving God. How to be faithful to a God who is faithful to us. And let me ask you, why would you follow any other king but this one? Deuteronomy number two also displays the unprecedented sovereignty of God. We see the sovereignty of God. It highlights the absolute supremacy of God over the gods of the nation. Not too many deities are audacious as Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He not only claims to own Israel as his own, but he also puts himself as the chief of other people. We see this multiple times in Deuteronomy. When God claims to give, that he has given Moses and Ammon their land. The land that he's taken from the, from the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites. Those are all lands that belong to God. It is he who gives it. It is he who takes it and gives to another. Deuteronomy highlights God's particular and absolute supremacy over Israel. He is Israel's rock. He is a consuming presence who is absolutely holy. He is merciful, loving, and faithful. He is the creator of humanity, the sovereign of all nations, the universal judge, the sole controller of all of creation. But he's still distinct from creation. God is fully present and active. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob alone is the father, the redeemer, the warrior, the protector, the provider, the restorer, and savior for all of Israel. He hates and punishes sin, and he detests all competitors to his people's affection. To me only do you own love, O oh, love and faithfulness too. Deuteronomy emphasis, uh, puts an emphasis on God's sovereignty. And that should motivate our worship and our commitment to cross-cultural missions. It's why we have missions here as a church. And I encourage you to support missions if you're not already. You and I are to share that gospel for others. For both Israel then and Christians today, countless cultural competitors for the sovereign of God exist. Whether it's Muslim and Islam, Hinduism, whatever it may be. Someone is proclaiming a God. There is something that they worship. But if we're seeing with proper eyes, we'll discover that there is a massive discrepancy between earthly rulers and their political shaped deities and the Lamb of God who was and is 
and is to come. So though you may not see the name of Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy, let me encourage you and enlighten you that he is there in its pages. You will see the picture of the Lamb. He is the King, the Protector, the Redeemer, the Savior. Concerning missions, concerning uh, sharing the gospel, whether it's at home in our families or around the world, God's sovereignty offers us immense hope that the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 will result in the celebration that we spoke earlier that's found in the book of Revelation, where every tribe and every tongue and people from all around the world will dance and feast around the throne of Abraham. But that begins with this tribe of people, the people that God is making a nation that is ready to enter into the promised land that we find in Deuteronomy So we should read its pages to be familiar with it, to know them, to know God's purpose through them. And then number three, Deuteronomy expects a gut level response to God and to one another. It elicits both fear and love. And we'll see this as we go near the end of Deuteronomy. There are blessings and there are curses. God demands that his people take seriously their internal compulsion to sin, and their cultural impulse towards idolatry. You and I must realize that there is something within us that draws us to the competitors to a holy God. I think it was John Calvin that said that our our hearts are continual idol-making factories. We're always looking to put something on the throne room of our life, something other to God. Fundamental to Israel's uh, chief problem, and they had some big problems, but fundamental to their chief problem was that they were gut-level sinners, just like you and I. Deuteronomy calls them rebellious. They're unbelieving. They're stubborn of heart. These words and phrases could be used of you and I today as well. These problems run deep, and they cannot be rectified by just an external call to duty-bound obedience. It's not enough to just say, hey, act this way, talk this way, look this way. There has to be something much more fundamental to just acting like a good person. Instead, what these people need is an eternal call to surrender and to rely on the living God that comes from the heart. Heartfelt love for God is the only adequate response to the covenant because only a heartfelt love can serve as a foundation for all of obedience and worship. In Deuteronomy 6, we're going to look at the book's central text. It's often called the Shema. It's clear that God's instruction was to be central and valuable to God's people. It functioned as the natural topic of conversation, what they were speak about as they were to sit at dinner to teach their children. It was supposed to be around their household. It was supposed to be on their, on their heads and their, and their fore, on their foreheads. In other words, it was the, to be the thing that ruled their hearts and their life. It was to be central. It's the way they were disciple their children. Likewise, Deuteronomy cultivates a fear of God. Not only a love, but also a fear that's rooted in God's goodness and power on Israel's behalf. In Deuteronomy 8, God rehearses, or Moses rehearses, God's goodness to Israel in delivering them from Egypt. He sustained them in the wilderness and he brings them into the land. 
Moses states that they are to fear and obey. That's a common duo in Deuteronomy. Similar in the New Testament, fear God, but also obey. What drives this gut level response? It's simple. God brought Israel into the good and abundant land of the promised land. He kept his promise and their obedience flows from the conviction of God's goodness. But it also encourages God's people to take one another seriously. On more than one occasion through Deuteronomy, Moses emphasized the covenant kindness to all within Israel's reach. This book is going to punctuate the serious responsibility that the covenant have for one another. We are to love one another as God loved us. And that love is for family. It is for friends. It is for the community of God's children. But it also is to reach out even to those that many times cause distraction in our church. To those that make our life uncomfortable. To those that disagree with us. Consider its insistence on caring for poor brothers and sisters who will always be among us. From our new covenant perspective, it's necessary for you and I to understand that covenant obedience is driven, is driven by the internal change of the heart. And that comes through conversion of repentance and a trust or a faith in God. God's grace trains and shapes us from the inside out. We renounce old habits and we embrace the new ones as we long for the return of Christ. We remain zealous for good works, as he tells us in Titus. The New Testament writers understand that this type of love for one another is normal Christian behavior. Some would even deny the title Christian if they truly do not love one another. So as we think you and I are to read through Deuteronomy, we will see not only God's story in Deuteronomy, but you and I will see the story of ourselves, of a rebellious, stubborn people who are called to God's faithfulness, to, to, to respond to him in faithfulness and to obedience. But yet also we need to see that Deuteronomy is in the book of the Bible for a reason. It's included for a purpose. It's not just a history book. It's not just something that you and I are there if we want to know more about Israel. Here's where you and I should go to. No, Deuteronomy is part of the word of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction or training in righteousness. You see, the Deuteronomy fits into the biblical story. Now, I know many of you cringe when I'm about to tell you, but it's the story of the Bible. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. It's telling us how God is working his way through the tapestry of, of history in order to save his people. Now, as we go through it, we find out who the prince is. It's the king. It's Jesus. The dragon is that old serpent in Genesis, but in Revelation is known as the dragon. Jesus slays him, not by piercing the dragon with a sword or a spear, but allowing himself to be pierced by those who follow the dragon. The girl that Jesus saves, the prince slaves and wins, is the bride of Christ, those of us who are God's children. Deuteronomy is an important book for, not, for understanding not only the Old Testament theology, but also 
the continuity of the Old and the New Testament. You see, Deuteronomy recognizes the need for God to act within the heart. For all of the curses and the commandments that God gave them, they could not do it. And as we read throughout the Old Testament, we see that they failed God. See, you and I need a heart change. If Israel is to achieve faithful obedience to God's covenant, they need more than just external rules. They need an internal conversion. The ideal, the ideal life in the land is for each member of the body, of the people in the body as a whole, to display God's fervent love as their respond, proper response. This means that the rest of the world is to learn the true God through their faithfulness to them, to God. The very reason for Israel exists is to manifest the glory of God. And by the way, the only reason that the church exists is so that we can make known God's wonderful grace and the gospel. This longing reoccurs in the Old Testament. As in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see the prophecy of the new covenant that you and I are now under. We can praise God that we are not under the old covenant for the old covenant could not save, but the new covenant can. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So why is this book important to us today? Why do you and I need an Old Testament book to call us back to faithfulness of God? What is it that you and I need to be reminded of? Why do we need to be reminded of God? Well, this year in 2020, the State of Theology Survey, it was done by League Near Ministries in Lifeway. It just came out this week. And listen to this. In this State of Theology, they asked both evangelicals and those who were not Christians, they asked a survey. They asked, do you believe that Jesus was a great teacher but was not God? Listen to this. 30% of evangelicals, believe that Jesus was just a great teacher, but was not God. 46 of the evangelical believers that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 40% of evangelicals believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. 42%. 39% of evangelicals believe that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Yet, 91% of evangelicals believe that the Bible is true. That's good news. 100% believe that the Bible is accurate in all it teaches. That's wonderful. And 100% believe that the Bible is the highest authority for what they believe. But yet, look at those numbers. 30%, 3 out of 10 Christians, professing Christians, believe that Jesus was not God. Just a great teacher. Almost half believe that everyone sins a little, but people are good by nature. Almost half believe that, you can, that God accepts worship of all religion. So you and I also need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, of who God is, his uniqueness. We need to be reminded of what he's called us to be. We definitely live in a day when many have forgotten the goodness and faithfulness of God. 
Sadly, the previous generation was not faithful in preserving and passing down the faith once delivered. That could be our grandparents or parents. It could be you. What are you passing down to your children? Are they following God? In the letter of Jude in the New Testament, we are called to contend for this faith. And like every generation, this is our moment now. We need to contend for the faith, for it is mighty under attack. It always is. What is ironic is that it's the same things that are always being attacked. The validity and reliability of scriptures, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and the preciousness of God's people meeting together in the assembly of God. And here's what I say. I'll say the same thing that Captain America says. Church assemble. He says Avengers, but I'll say church. We need to assemble. That's what God has called us to. It's how we remind each other. It's how we encourage one another. You and I will see the church and our sanctification progress in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's there written as Numbers was as an example for us. For help us to understand. Like these Hebrew children, you and I need to be reminded once again of God's commands. His faithfulness and his salvation that's provided for his chosen people today as he is still building his kingdom. Let's commit our hearts and our minds and our will to embracing God's wonderful word as we journey through this book of Deuteronomy the next seven to eight weeks. Let us join with all of saints who declare as you look here on the screen. Would you read this out loud with me? Hopefully you can see it. This is called the Shema. Would you read this out loud with me? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. What we have greater than those that had in Deuteronomy is it's now been scribed by the hands of God on our hearts. Let us live that out. With every head bowed and every head closed, or vice versa, every closed, every head bowed. As the worship team comes up, I'll also ask Landon to come on up here, ready for pastor's prayer. I want you to just take a moment to pause and to consider the book of Deuteronomy. I know this is a different message, just lots of facts and interesting tidbits, but also some words of encouragement. I pray that you would commit with us to read. Would you read Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 4 in preparation for our next time together? And that may God work through our hearts as we become the people that God has called us to be. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Help us to respond to your wonderful word. Thank you for the words that bring life. We thank you for calling Israel. We thank you for calling us. Lord, may we love your word. May we love your truth. May we love your faithfulness. Help us respond in such a way that demonstrates not only our love towards you, but also our love towards one another. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. 
To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.